Welcome to the Nerve Guys podcast, where we discuss movement, performance, and rehabilitation through the lens of the brain and nervous system. The Nerve Guys podcast is hosted by Gareth Kelly and James McCambridge. To find out more about the Nerve Guys or to book into our online or in-person training programs, please visit thenerveguys.co.uk. The Nerve Guys podcast is sponsored by Elite Vision Sticks. Every day, athletes of all levels are reaching their full performance potential with Elite Vision Sticks. Pick up yours today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nerve Guys podcast. It's Gareth and James here today, and today we're joined uh, all the way from the United States with uh, Nathan from MoveMed. Nathan, how's it going? What's up, guys? Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So uh, today we're going to be chatting about brains, as usual. uh, We're kind of excited to be chatting to you because... I get the feeling we do kind of very similar things, but uh, it sounds like you've got a bit of a different approach to us. So you want to talk through just like what is what would you consider your job title even uh, for a start? That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I largely uh, deal in a type of therapizing, I guess, without really saying it's therapy. It's mostly to the effect of uh, I grew up being very minimally understood and a lot of my um, my tensions and my hyperactivities and in trying to figure out how to be a little more sedated in my response to self or like uh, people picking up on something being unusual about my behavior, I had to figure out what it was that they were coining in on. And I started to notice that there were a lot of ticks and unusual behaviors that kind of uh, held my energy in check, or at least made it possible for me to be a little bit level with the stimulus. And so I do a lot of uh, frenetic stuff with my fingers and have a lot of like uh, somatic comfort, comforting behaviors. And, um, I think I just got highly sensitive to behaviors that at a certain point when I had gotten to the far end of discomfort, uh, I realized that I was making things worse for me or I was giving myself more jobs than I needed. And it was with S10 Fitness, Chris Daly and Dave Sten. They're guys that are very similar in respect to what you guys do, both see health guys and a number of other certifications that I'm sure I wouldn't be able to list if I had 10 minutes. Um, and at the end of, uh, and at the end of the day, I just realized that there was a whole lot of stuff that I wasn't doing that was uh, making things easier for me. So it's like a low grade sensory therapy where I get to teach people how to be limbically aware. So for all the people that don't have language systems, they have feeling systems. I just give them a little more induction of pattern behavior that might feel a little bit more orienting. And that's my job description, that whole. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always find like it is quite difficult when you start doing the stuff that we do to give people concise. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, this thing you've never heard of or done a little bit of. Well, let me give it a very simple explanation to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's half my day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, it's even the same with professionals. You reach out to a, a professional that doesn't know what's going on, and it's an argument. Yep. Yeah, it could take a while. I will wonder, actually, if you could touch a little bit more on uh, 
one of the things you said because uh, it, it was limbically oriented. And uh, I don't know, I think that would be quite interesting. I'm curious to hear, like, what kinds of people are you working with where you find uh, find that? And just for anyone, like, listening, what, what does that even mean, being limbically oriented? Uh, I didn't realize what it was before, at least my sensitivity to emotion or discomfort that would take me to the high ends of sympathetics, because I think I had just lived there for so long and I was under fueling for so long that I didn't have an awareness of how bad it would get when it would get really bad. And I would get severely nauseated when I would have things come up and it would be just a heavy propensity of tension here that would residuate upward. And then I would, I had such bad uh, stimulus issues where I would like if I were in an area where there were too many people, too much light and too much like non-natural stimulus, my ears would ring tinnitus was something that I had since a little kid. Uh, light sensitivity was something I had since a little kid. And most everything was like, let's make my thoughts louder and more uncomfortable for me to deal with. And so when I started to recognize people had similar discomforts that they would exhibit in their in their body language, I started to understand that a lot of people were dealing with the same thing, but not knowing they were dealing with it. And so a couple of things happen. I mean, I'm a very calm uh, presence to be around for people who are like that. And so for them to all of a sudden start to perform unpracticed behaviors and then start stumbling over their feet a little bit and not realize that they're doing that. There was an allowance of like my presence, let people be a little bit less hyperstimulative and a little bit more like, oh, I don't need to be as worried or protective of myself. And when I found that I could do a little bit of that, and it was probably me receiving it from someone else, uh, but I started to condition people who were responding to their emotions, responding to that high intensity state that they didn't have language for. And then I just let them give themselves either the opportunity to hear how loud their system was without judgment. So like uh, pointing out some of the things that's going on and being like, totally fine. It's not something you need to really worry about, but it is something you should be aware of. And then some people will be like, Oh, I am up here. I can bring myself a little bit lower. Yeah, I think some of that's really interesting in, like, especially light and sound. Uh, I guess because more people are maybe becoming a bit more aware of it uh, now, but that can be an issue. And even though it seems like light feels like it should be obvious, right? If you're hypersensitive to light, you should know about it because it would be in your face and it would be annoying you but actually a lot of the time i've had a lot of people i've been working with in flexibility workshops where we've been doing you know uh neuro drills and it's always oh let's try this and retest your split and it never gets any better and nothing's nothing's working nothing's helping and then towards we'll have like one little bit where you go oh put on these sunglasses or put a stick on these ear defenders and suddenly like and they just become super calm and yeah it's i think it's hard for people to even comprehend that that might not be something that you wouldn't just notice straight away yeah yeah, it's tough. I mean, no one really knows the uh, the perspective of what's outside of their feeling behavior. So if it feels normal, if it feels practice, there's no such thing as like language that's going to tell you you're wrong. No, it feels right. This is what is right. That's what I, I mean. That's the largest uh, clarity I can provide to limbic behavior. Like if we think about the id or instinct or lizard brain or whatever, it all comes back to 
what rationalizes the higher functioning forms of cognitive behavior. And that's emotion. It's the feeling orientation. It's the thing that viscerally connects us to the thing. And the emotions are largely oriented around our visceral organs. So like if we're restricting our, our ability to emote or express, we're probably restricting our ability to breathe. We're restricting our ability to literally modalize our, our gut and organs. And then there is no connection anymore. It's a diversion of what I'm allowing for or what I can talk about is where I'll go with it. And I mean, one thing I can say definitively is I've done a lot of therapy, a lot of like physical, uh, sorry, not physical therapy, but I've done a lot of like uh, next to a therapist when I was younger, whether it be because I'm not really sure. There's a lot of trauma, a lot of like injuries that weren't very clear. I would tell my parents that I'd have severe uh, uh, stimulus, just like issues. I'd be like, I cannot go to this place. It's making me freak out. And I wouldn't say it obviously that clearly, but there was a measure of awareness that I had that no one else was able to put words to. And it just so happened that I had brothers who all respectively had hit their heads enough times that it was like commonality behavior in our family where there was some measure of impulsive or like non-orient, non-ordered behavior. So it was just the norm. And it brings to light how many people are limbically disadvantaged because they don't have whatever that thing is, that piece, it's not quite connected anymore. It's jiggling around in their brain a little bit. Yeah. That could be a big problem as well, where like the experience of, I just know I can't be in this situation. A lot of the time people try to force you to put words to it. And then you make something up in that case. Like it's, uh, when, and then the, the bigger problem I think with that is once your brain's made something up, it also doesn't want to seem stupid. So now you have to start believing that thing, even if it like wasn't the problem. Uh, well, it, up, it exists. Yeah. It becomes a language. Yeah. Language isn't real. I think that's the biggest thing that we have to define. The feelings are limbic uh, orientation is real, but the putting to words and trying to like, all of it's been redacted by every nation that came after the one that like the language disappeared or whatever, all the dialects, we're all speaking different dialects and we'll say things that are like distinctively unfamiliar to one another, just because we've grown up in different parts of English speaking uh, world. And that's the same for most people with their, like, if I'm impulsive and there's another person that's impulsive, the outside might see two ADHD people, but those two people might see two people that are burdened by overstimulation. And that might be a good thing, or it might be a polarity of like, get away from me. I can't deal with you. Totally. And it, and it won't be the exact same. That's right. another thing. Everyone seems to think if you can put it into words, it kind of levels the playing field of what it is. Yeah. But it never does because you're only trying the best you can to put into words the yeah. emotion you're feeling, which is totally different. Every single time. That yeah. uh, It's like a saying what you mean versus meaning what you say. You say what you mean plenty of times. You can put as much verbiage to the thing as much as you want. But if it doesn't encapsulate that viscera, if you're using language that doesn't speak the truth, there's some measure of like I'm wandering around a dark corridor and that dark corridor is my mind. I can be only so familiar with the stuff that goes on. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I love lang- languages, like learning languages. I... I'm terrible at explaining what I mean, which has been a huge challenge in like trying to educate people about the brain because I'll understand it in my head. It works perfectly, but yeah, yeah it does not. <laughs> I got really into languages because I thought initially I thought this is going to help me 
understand that part of myself. So I'll, I'll learn a different language. I don't have to learn all the rules of grammar and stuff. But actually what I ended up learning was it just doesn't matter. Like as long as I know the right, like three words and I say them with conviction and body language, people understand what I mean. And uh, I can just make up, like I'm learning German at the minute and I can, I can speak German and make half of it up and people will probably still get what I mean. Right. Yeah, totally. And you see like the people traveling to lang- uh, countries that they don't have a language shared between them and they'll, they'll gesture their way through some level of efficacy, but human beings pick up on so much more than we, uh, we bring. Have you guys ever done something called PEMF pulse electromagnetic frequency? No. So it's like a, a resting table. There's a, a mat that's connected to a, uh, an engine of sort that produces some electrical, uh, some electrical frequency. And you put that on top of you, you're laying on the, the bed itself, and then it's exhibiting some measure of pulse between the two whatevers. So you can put it on your belly and it'll be on your back. So it's largely exposing the backside and then it's localized to wherever it's conduiting through. Um, I did it. Uh, there's a guy that's local to me. Uh, I've done it a couple of times, three or four times. And, uh, I know that after my head injuries, I've had a number of head injuries and I've also had some things that like, uh, uh, made me less social for years on end. So I like spent time with books and that was how I like built out a lot of, uh, my verbiage and my ability to communicate, but it wasn't done with people. It was done with like observing something that was non-interactive. And so, um, I'd spent a lot of time being, uh, fixated on the process of trying to understand things without being, uh, directly exposed to them. And so there was like a, sorry, I got a little bit off track. Uh, goodness, I got off track. I was going to tell you guys something and I tried putting a, another story to it. Um, shoot. I do that constantly. Dude, it's gotten so much worse. But you you do start and then you get other things crop in because there is so much to talk about. Um, but that actually sounds really interesting. I kind of want to try that. What's that? The, the tables with the pulse. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. That was what I was talking about. Goodness. Okay. So I'd spent so much time. <laughs> I, I like created this environment in my head where it was like I, I would try to... Uh, create the re- replacement for the lack of visceral experience that I was having. Cause I remember as a kid, I was super vivacious. Like uh, my hair reflected my personality and it was blonde back then. So it was like this wild mob of crazy. Now I'm having this uh, separation from how I felt back then versus what I've learned in behaviors that have been practiced in that time between. And I think that since uh, I was unaffected to injuries and trauma. There was some sensory behaviors that I really build out some sensory foundation I'd build out. And I used to have, like I said, tinnitus all the time. I used to have light sensitivity all the time, but when I got those to depreciate, I was just highly sensitive. And so I started to develop this awareness in degrees of like, I would pay attention to the heat of my, my hands. I'd pay attention to like the thermal response of my body and other things of that sort. And I got very involved in physical activity because it was an expression of my brain without there being questions about validity or, or, or efficacy. And then when I went to the, do this PMF thing, I lay on this bed, I'm sat in this, or I'm laid in this position to be like, I just want to receive this. I'm not really like the one to like let things happen. I'm usually in control of it, but 
my body was responding to it without my thinking process. So I was finding that I was able to share the sensation or residuate the feeling that was on the belly in the pad down my legs. And I tell the guy about this. He's like, I've never heard about that being done before. And he's done it with thousands of people. I don't know if you guys know who Ben Greenfield is, uh, a biohacker of the U.S. Uh, he does a bunch of that kind of stuff. But he uh, he's another person that used the same bed. Like He's used it with thousands of people. And for the first time, he's like, I've never heard of that being done. And I was able to like tangibly interface with an electromagnetic pulse that was coming through something that was foreign to my body. So there's something to be said, I think, about if you upregulate senses or if you spend enough time in those senses, not thinking about how out of deficit they are from where they were, but what you can do with them. You can be the person that has no limbs, but has a better developed torso than everyone else. You know what I mean? Like you can build out those from those deficits because your competency is within the realm of I only understand this much. I'm only focused within this much. And I think that saved my life. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like the, I guess all of those, all of your interoceptive senses, especially when, when you're a baby, uh, you have to learn to distinguish one from one from another. Like you, you feel a sensation and you don't know what it means. So you just start crying. And when somebody gives you food and it makes it better, then you go, Oh, cool. Okay. That one was the one that's that's pay attention to. So given that if that is something that you've had to learn right from the beginning, then in theory, like where is maybe, do we know the upper shelf of, of what you can do or do with it? Like, so like you were saying, like paying attention to your own sensation and just focusing more on the sensation in your hands, maybe uh, who's in the same ways you would learn a skill. Surely you could learn to just, like more through through your hands if that makes sense yeah i mean my hands are tremendously sensitive it's something that i've noticed with a lot of people who have been too inert or limited in motility like the nerves are not super helpful they don't have these pads there are these bellies on the bottom of their fingers and so you see uh, especially the index finger is the most flat of fingers where they have the least amount of belly thumb as well and these should be repositories of blood like it should be the heavy point of the the hand so because we're exhibiting too much distal tension we're refusing the blood flow or the pump into the end of the limb or the that's where i think most people uh uh like when i'm trying to communicate the homunculus driven thing like if we build out a structure that only has so much like flow into it the ebb or the return of information is not going to be as consistent with how much we were able to send to it. And that's the biggest point. Like you can see there's tone, like there's a little butt to my hand. There's, there's a little bit of like roundness to the fingertips. You can see there's bellies to each of these guys. That's just to suggest that there's a good amount of blood flow and it's not, I'm not restricting it and holding it tight and keeping my wrist small and the like. And I've just created an atmosphere of like, I did pay attention to what was important to me. And that was what language did for me. Like in, in the therapy that I did to start, I also did a ton of neurofeedback when I was a kid. I like spent time with the electrodes on my head, no hand things. And I was like playing Pac-Man and playing other video games like that. And then I just did like bar graphs where I was dealing with dopamine and serotonin and stuff like that. I had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> I was good at it. 
Man, that's really cool. Well, I was just checking out my own hands there. I was like, oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's actually yeah, you guys, it looks like you have, I only saw Garrett's fingers, but it looks like you have some of the, the fingertips. You guys both seem to have a little bit of the Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, index is a little lacking there. Yeah, uh, but that's, I guess, my left as well. I do have some slight nerve issues with the left side. Like I, my, my entire left side of my body uh, from having surgery in my face and uh, shoulder issues and stuff. I have a lot of double sensation spots. You know, I'll stroke along my face and then I'll feel it's not quite so bad as it used to be after the surgery, but I, I literally feel when I stroke, I feel a second uh, finger in the eye. And the way I find the most helpful thing for that for me turned out to be two-point discrimination, so getting uh, just any two points. Uh, I've got like a set of calipers and just making them more and more narrow and just trying to pay attention. Can I actually feel that it's two different things? And uh, yeah, in those points where I normally feel two th- two things anyway, it sort of it did just started to go away. Uh, or I would have, uh, my girlfriend would would have like, Two of them, so one would be two points and one would be one. I'd have to guess which one's which. And I was seriously bad at it for a long time. Um, and yeah, that seemed to help a lot as well. How would you say that affects your association with like, uh, so you deal with a bunch of people who have never had a previous starter point of self value, respective of their neuro- neurology? How did it contribute to you, like? You start out, do I imagine you were already in neurology prior to having the experience? Uh, before, the, before the surgery, no, that was a okay. long time ago. And then, yeah, through getting into neurology, that's what this made me decide, oh, I actually, I want to look at seeing if I can rehab my facial nerve and see, you know, the all the surgeons have told me that's not possible. There are just nothing's going to change after you know, six months after the operation, you should expect that, that nothing's going to change. Um, what it, one of the things that it did for me, I think was just that sensation is just not is again, it's one of those things that you, it's so hard for me to even explain to people because it, you just shouldn't really like, it doesn't make sense. Like when you, when you touch one area, you shouldn't feel, someone touching in the same way, like phantom limb, I imagine just yeah. doesn't make sense. And, uh, I think that kind of helped me to not discount a lot of the things that people were saying to me, you know, when, when somebody comes in and is just like, I just feel like my entire insides are twisted. Um, that sound like before I probably would have been like, well, that's a silly analogy or that's not, uh, that doesn't sound like a real thing, but, yeah. Now it's like, oh no, actually this, you know, no matter what you tell me, I pretty likely I can believe that you are experiencing something in a way that is completely not what I can even imagine experiencing, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone's brain dilute. I always thought when I was younger, if people saw the same colors, but in different aspects. So like we have the same word for them and it doesn't matter. It's never, it's never changing. It's always fixed. But what if my blue is your orange and then yeah. it's always the same thing and you respond viscerally to orange while I respond viscerally to blue. 
And that's what makes it so crazy to me is that if something like that is such a head fuck, like, you know, when you just go, oh, I wonder is orange the same for everyone else, even if it didn't make a single bit of difference to yeah. how we interacted with the world, and then go, oh, I wonder if somebody even, like, sees things in the same way or if their brain thinks, like, when I think, I know I think in words, I don't think in pictures. And the yeah. first time somebody told me, oh, yeah, I think, like, when you say car, I see a car. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I 100%, 100% think in pictures all the time. Yeah. I think it's so funny. It just reminded me of people who don't have a background track, like a, yeah. a communication track. I'm like, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it's ju- I want this thing to shut up sometimes. I, yeah. It just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> I put earmuffs on your own brain doesn't make sense. <laughs> It's like putting your head in the sand. You're like, this doesn't you know, work either. I've noticed, I don't know about you guys, but have you noticed if you ever sometimes get someone to do gear stabilization and they look With- and they just go, everything just shut up. Because <laughs> like, they were, it's the first time they've ever properly focused Silence on it. things. Yeah. yeah. That's what I had when I, I did something called PRRT. And so I, I have a uh, lacking sensation in a couple of sides of my, my head and face, like my right side of my face. I had first hit when I was eight. And so I'd knock myself unconscious and I used to have pictures I actually can show you uh, give me just one sec I had pictures that would demonstrate how I would smile as a kid and they would smile like I couldn't fully open my eye and I didn't know that until I got to the point where I got my first uh, PRT adjustment and my eyes started opening but shit next to my computer here that's a better example so both my eyebrows were doing different jobs Uh, and it was like it was trying to manufacture tension in my face to let me not experience attention in my face yeah you can even see the whole the whole of the face totally and then it got easier as my head got bigger but it was about this age that it happened Hmm. So half my face is a little tensioned and it got worse as I progressively grew into it. So as I got my head to be bigger and bigger and bigger, it was either the the lymph or fluid around it started to make a little bit of allowance. But this is what my face looked like prior to. Yeah. So like a different yeah. Yeah. uncomfortable smile and happy smile. Yeah. Imagine your emotions not registering properly your whole life. That you can totally see. So, in only getting that back, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was missing some stuff. And as soon as I had gotten that adjustment, I went outside. Chris had told me the same thing. He's like, if I felt it, I cried as soon as I had had that experience. I was like, I'm up for it. If something's going to make me feel that significantly different. So, I went in. The guy's uh, unbelievably talented. I think he's like chiropractically trained and he has some like OMM background. So it's just some osteo manipulation stuff. And then he had developed a technique around like sacral or cranial sacral. And he was doing some like very light touching. And then he went to uh, my temples and my trigeminal and he started to like draw out depth from the jaw. And so he's like putting some weight to my jaw and I'm doing some. And it's where a lot of my mewing stuff comes from. Uh, but dude three minutes later I go outside and for the first time ever I feel sun on my face like I felt it on my face 
and I felt the weight of like reduction and attention reduction. I was like, I just made made me cry immediately. It was like the freedom of finally like, oh, this is who I am. This is the person that was hiding behind that whatever. And it's crazy how much we'll refuse ourselves access to the person that wants to relax. Yeah. yeah. And that'll happen for years as well. Yeah. People will I see people that do it for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, for real. A good book actually, uh fixing my gaze. Um, I can't remember the author, but she basically talks about training herself to see in 3D. Uh, so she had visual suppression and only, I believe it was only one eye was, was working. And then just at, at some point she had done some vision therapy and managed to get the other one working again. And just the experience of, you know, as I can't remember. I feel, I feel like she was a grown adult and then just to suddenly see the world shift and, and turn into like, oh, there are like, this is what actual three dimensions looks like. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I've read this. She's autistic. Her name is Temple Grandin. I just uh, finished reading uh, one of her books as well, actually, The Autistic Brain. Okay, so I read the one Animals in Translation. And it's the same principle in creating like a language around basic, uh, uh, hmm. basically autistic or animal animals who are uh, abused and the like. There's a, a it's a limbic language. You speak with them. You speak with them how their senses perceive the environment, not how the words uh, get translated in the brain. And so there's a lot of things like they're walking into. Uh, if they're dairy cows or if they're meat cows, there's like differences in how they they house them. And then them transferring between outside to inside, the darkness that would come over them, they wouldn't want to go into the, the indoors. And so they'd have to create things that would be more sensually inductive, maybe a tunnel that would start to, to depreciate the light. Or when they would walk in and there was metal underfoot and they went from grass to some type of metal and they started to hear that, they would just like buck and freak out. And that was something they had to figure out as well, reducing the amount of stimulus and tactile feedback that was so unfamiliar to being in an environment they were familiar with. And yeah. that's like she's associating she has similar experiences being autistic. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, in the autistic brain as well. She talked about talking about people seeing in pictures and then actually um, how some people see visually but not in like pictures it's more in patterns and and things like that and how that's really hard again for people to comprehend or understand but uh yeah they've developed they've developed a lot of different tests uh where you can basically take the test find out how you actually perceive the world and find out how it's different to how other people perceive the world which i think is super interesting that should be children's stuff that should be like what you experience as a kid like this is how you're different this is how you're the same don't worry about it <laughs> yeah i even think even from when you're a kid you i start to when i there's certain things i hear when i'm seeing clients where they're like this is how i see the world or like these you know letters or something just really stand out or when I heard about synesthesia of seeing, you know, letters of the alphabet in color, hearing or seeing sounds and stuff like that. 
Um, I always remember I used to, I think I used to do that with the alphabet. Like, I think it was a very short period of time where I knew what color the letters were. And I'm not, I, I don't know because, but I, I just have this thing of, I think I have this memory of having like a, a totally set with like an alphabet thing on it and the letter F was red and I just was looking at it like this is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, dude, I, I've had experiences with that as well. I imagine it has something to do with the limbic reaction of our letters and our the tensions that we develop by way of like... So I was talking to my guys earlier this week and we were talking about noises that facilitate more diaphragmatic engagement and the softer it is, the more esophageal it is, the more sharp it is, the more it gets past the diaphragm. So that's esophageal or chest born. And then that's into the diaphragm. And if you can associate the lettering or the verbiage that you use, or at least the emphasis in where it, because some people will talk and they'll start to be soft around certain noises and that might inundate less efficacy and their ability to deliver sound and deliver force from their gut. And uh, yeah, I noticed I spoke a lot less before. And I th- imagine it was part hand injury, part reading a lot. And then just like, I didn't know how to put words to my feelings, but I spoke very little for an extended period of time. And uh, I didn't have a very pronounced voice or broadcasted voice until Recently, after the head stuff and then some breathing stuff I'd done, maybe some weight on my chest, finally, it felt like I went through puberty for the second time. Everything improved, dude. My head is bigger than it was before. Like, I've never really had a small head. But the difference between, like, when uh, my vagus point was, like, the most fleshed out point, it was, like, laterally expanded. And now I have depth to the neck from trap to front side throat that doesn't feel like it's impeding or interacting with that lateral ability to rotate. Now it feels freer. Now it feels like much more allowant and dude, just creating space around things. That otherwise, like if we have bad communication practices, it's probably we socialize very underperformatively. We, we don't give ourselves that full engagement. We're strict, restricted in some degree. Yeah. I think that carries over quite a lot into how people look these days so I think our frames are tiny in comparison to how they should be, if that makes sense. Um, our ribcage should be a lot more expanded. We should be broader. We should be, there should be a lot more space, but because the world we live in is built around this, yep. just closing everything in, um, we're not. <laughs> totally. We really aren't. I just realized that that's the same position you go into in the grocery store. You'll see everyone hunched over their cart. And I never grab a cart. I always grab a basket. Yeah. And that's and something you go, that. Damn it, I need another one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's better than walking around like this. Like my yeah. shirt would be the walk around basket. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I do think so. I think that's it. And I definitely noticed whenever I was injured with my back, that I, everything, like I was a lot, I wasn't as thick as yeah. I would be now. I, I was a lot thinner. Totally. If that makes sense. But now just being healthy and stuff, the breath yeah, is there. Being, yeah. That's a concept that I talk on. It was something before I had a, a programming or like I had a cohesive network of like these are act- exercises that interact with our concepts. Because I had to figure out simpler ones over time because I was like, here's the complex version that I understand. Try to get this going for you. 
<clears throat> but I started to realize that uh, people would keep getting fixated or stuck on. Uh, I did it again, dude. What do you just you had just said <laughs> about the depth and how people? Yes, thank get- you. So most people are fundamentally as big as their inside map or their inside perception of self. Thinking about echolocation, like you're sending a whatever, and the quicker it responds to yourself, the the smaller you are. Yeah, probably the smaller you are. Um, and the longer a time that you're comfortable not hearing that signal back, the more echolocative you can be. And I think that the time spent going through junctures and not jumping into that loud source point is a really good way for us to shrink a T-Rex. But uh, most of us are smaller than we physically are. Like we're holding ourselves smaller. We're preventing ourselves from fully expanding. And that tensegrity is dependent or contingent on the midline being engorged properly or effectively aware throughout the entire time of that, like how you're presenting yourself. I've noticed that most people like the clavicle, for example, I actually got into an argument on not even intentionally. I was like, I saw someone posting about their, their clavicle or working on someone and their clavicle is like, you can't see mine. Mine are pretty well recessed. Tonally, they're like part of my body. A lot of people, especially women will have them prolapse forward and they're very bony and stuck out right here. And so they're at an angle. And so their neck has to move forward to be able to elucidate more throat space. And now, (laughs) (laughs) well, you think about it, we want to think like they're, they're logs rolling in the water that way. And so our SCM picks it up and allows for us to expand backward toward our spine because it's offsetting the ballast or the pull of our arms. And if we're forward with them, we have to go forward to be able to pull. And so we're never really pulling, we're pushing to be able to exert some measure of like our body coming forward, not the thing coming to us. And so once we get this to be broad, we have a much greater perception of, oh my goodness, my periphery is so much more aggrandized. But only when our physical periphery is is big, can we start to create the lateral body. So if I say, like, you know, your periphery is the, the telltale of your reflex capacity or your capacity to take in information without being focal mm-hmm. on it. And so if I'm thinking about my periphery, my ear is essentially my periphery. It's listening to the surrounding without me having to look at it. But my viewscape can enter into some of that. What we're really talking about is this part of the head. And if we're talking about that part of the head, if we can map that, if we can make that be the lateral part of the body, like it fills into here and it's no longer here with the prolapsed clavicle, but it's a lateral body as well, the shoulder on the side. I'm sweating like crazy right now. Good thing I wore a gray shirt. And then we get the lateral body to also emphasize the same thing. Then we have what is a kinetic buffer for us to rotate around. So we don't have to pull our arm across our midline. Our midline has the engorgement of how big our organs are relative, how big our, our lungs and our heart are. And, and the amount of tension that you can, like whenever things start to work properly like that, the amount of tension that you can create, for example, in your hips and your shoulders, you start realizing whenever you create tension, for example, in your shoulders, you can feel your lat, you can feel your lats moving or your chest as the yep. prime movers in the shoulder. It starts, the trunk starts moving the shoulder right. with force, not just, because most people will move their arm. Yeah. yeah from this instead of from this. And it's a perception thing. Like, how do you create, like, if you are foreignizing your brain, if you're externalizing it and you're bringing it to a localized point, there is no reflexive competency. There is no, like, if you're not paying attention to anything and you're fully fatigued, how are you going to stay on your feet if something were to shock your existence? 
That's bracing is just standing up like abdominal bracing. When people say don't brace, uh, figure out how to do it so you can stay upright. That's really what it is. <laughs> I wonder, does that, that like expansion as well, it must happen to a degree very quickly in real time as well. I've always had this theory of like living in London, especially I like, you know, am I actually making myself a smaller person just by being on public transport more often, you know, like my feet did it when I switched to barefoot shoes. Like my, my feet now are just bigger and when I put regular shoes on, it's, it's uncomfortable. And when I sit down, so if I'm in a, on the London underground, I'll sit down in a chair and it's always the same chair. They're always the same size. But I take up more space, and it's not like the man-spreading thing that everybody's like. It's not my legs that are doing it. It's my, my spine and my shoulders. And so when somebody sits down next to me, it's like, ah, now, now we're all packed up. Whereas if I get on the train and I have to sit between two people, I can very comfortably fit in there. And I don't feel like I'm doing much different, but something's going on. You know, I've, I've, I've accounted for the fact there's less space. I've sat down, and suddenly I'm like shrunk in the so that's your that's awareness the real, that's the real time feedback of you making yourself as big as the environment and making yourself smaller to fit the environment that's just that's the real time feedback of that clothing too think about all the people wearing clothing to better I used to wear tight clothing because it was something that made me feel more comfortable and now that I I cannot put tight clothing on now like I physically can't <laughs> it's like mm. like the whole visceral no but I was thinking when you if you think about all the people who don't do that, so all the selfish people who walk around like this and they walk around with their elbows jutting out and then their serratus follows that, they've created a physiology that is perpetually externalized. So they have to feed back here before they can allow for feedback here. And so it's the same as like uh, you, you're hearing you're the dual sensation or you're finding someone that has something that doesn't make sense to you. That fundamentally doesn't make sense to someone's neurology. So you have to like guess around with how can we re-ingratiate the natural order of things despite your reason for avoiding it, which is a hard thing to do because that means trauma. You have, you have to be a therapist more than you are. a. All right, we're going to do this physical stuff. But when you start crying, get out. <laughs> yeah, that's like, oh, God, everyone's going to cry. Right, come here. <laughs> yeah, you have, to, you have to figure out how to make people comfortable because it's going to be something they're going to be uncomfortable in. Yeah. It's usually the tough guys, too, for me, because I train a bunch of fighters and the like, and they're the ones that usually experience the emotional thing because it's like a, I'm usually more muscular than them, so I think it allows for a little bit of allowance. Like uh, there's another fit person allowing for me to have this permission and access. And so there's like sensitivity is a hard thing to ingratiate if you're a dude that's like, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, actually, speaking of fighters, how do you find fighters in their necks? Because we had we had somebody that we know was talking about neck training and strengthening their neck. So we would do it the way we would do it is obviously full range of motion, but strengthen the ability to move whatever way it needs to move, but keep it mobile. Whereas yeah. any fighters that we've ever dealt with have all went along the line. Yeah, I don't get that at all, dude. It's like everyone's scared of contact when they're in a contact sport. You have to, I think the fundamental is successful people are like, I'm going to get hit. I just have to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. 
this thing right here, either they live in panic or they're just listening to instructions and they're not very sensitive, but that's the same way as like, uh, uh, as you were saying earlier, James, you see the F and it's red, but you're like, that doesn't make sense. There should be some disparity or like you get this and you're like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. My forehead has to do too much work right now. My ears are feeling like any of that stuff. I've noticed that a lot. Um, and I think that most fighters, uh, create tensions around it cause they don't have an answer for that. So they'll raise a little bit, they'll shorten their throat. Yeah. The thing I do with them mostly is I like have them feel how big their neck is. And like, uh, in our five for five program, the free program we have, I'll do a lot of like neck tractioning stuff. And that's to feel how you can expand without compromising. And now I have, I can put a lot of force into that without losing out on my midline. And so midline out is a concept of arrangement of body that most people are just like, you have a structure that's stronger, reflexively more capable of handling things. And it's so coincidental with breathing and swallowing that you need to focus on that. that the, and things like when you get to spinal cord and all that, like chunks of movement are reflex, reflexized, <laughs> but like they're, broken down in the compartment so that all you have to do you don't have to think on the movement you just decide right. like writing your name for example yeah as a kid you would have had to think of writing each letter and then what letter comes next and what yep. listen do you need to leave whereas now as an adult you just go write my name you know you <laughs> your name and it just happens so, about it. <laughs> that's it so like a lot of these people like you'll find they they almost it's probably a bit awkward because they kind of have to go back to that learning to write your name with how they'll react to things like a punch yeah. or a kick or a throw or whatever. And some people are just not willing to do it. Totally. Well, one of the other things with fighters and like, or, or, or for anyone, why, why do they choose these positions where you're like, ah, oh, I'm not sure about this. I think it goes back also to the language. They saw whoever was the world champion at the time and that guy to become world champion have to go through everything about understanding his body and probably understand how to how to make his neck do exactly what he wants. But he probably hasn't practiced verbalizing that very much. So when the next guy comes and asks him, he's like, what do you do? Oh, I got to make my neck strong. And he's like, okay, cool, right. Make my neck strong. I'm going to like, I'll, I'll do whatever, hold it here, never let it move. Um, it's hard to it's hard to pass that information down. Well, you can pass down the words, but you can't pass down the understanding that the the first guy had. Yeah, you have to make your own mistakes because your predictability, like uh, prediction, is such a uh, expectation. That's the thing. Like, uh, there's sayings in like uh, old Asian practices, like uh, "Don't try" or. Um, uh, lack of attachment, things that are like don't have expectations, things that are in, inherently like uh, how willful you are about your brain body connection. And so they had some attention to how much drain I imagine would happen when someone would live in their mind and not be in their body. Um, there's this funny expression in Japanese that talks about like having a lonely mouth. So people feed themselves while not being hungry. So there's so much coherence around how they think, feel, uh, which is interesting. I would assume, and this is like just in a, they consume less testosterone inducing foods. And that might be because they have a greater degree of like uh, sensory process or like sensitivity while experiencing things. And that might just create that 
that path pathway, but I noticed that the more I eat things that are, I guess, uh, red meat and the like, I don't have an inclination to want to understand the thing. I want to do more. I want to be physically more ingratiated. And uh, that's something huge. If people don't learn a behavior on doing more and they think more, there needs to be a mixture. There needs to be a hormonal mixture of like, I have effort for the thing. I also have effort for the experience. So I'll do the thing without like paying attention to how I feel and also do the thing and I'll try to enrich my feeling. There's like a yeah. mixture of fun and force, I guess. Yeah. We've got to be able to cover both. Sorry, go on. No, you That's all I was going to say. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah, it needs to be both, both as two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You know, um, and without both, you're just going to, you're going to, it might work for a while, but it won't work all the time. Totally. Yeah, you need you need a actual. So people are scared of their own emotions. People are scared about behaviors that might come as consequence for socialization. And I think most of us have habited responding to the dialogue around emotions in pop and like whatever pop culture. We're led by a nation of people that are emo, like in the U.S. Uh, emotionally. Uh, removed and it's anywhere for the most part but here in particular there's a bunch of people who've grown up without a culture or without a identity to help subsidize a lot of the stuff that what's happening to me what's happening to me is so unique and because there's so many people having unique experiences here there are very few people who have like a, a feeling of companionship or camaraderie and so it's extremely hard for I suppose people in our environment to be like what you're saying disagrees with what I've been habited to say, but you're not saying I'm wrong. Let me hear what you're saying. It's always like, uh, like the nationalistic or tribal. No, what I've said goes. the sensory somatic experience of it um that was just to bring in like i knew that i didn't have a complete system without the visual aspect but i'm not uh, a vision coach i'm really not it's not my emphasis i just know that there's value there and so i brought it into the attention of this is going to commodify a lot of the orientation or create a uh, an organization system for a lot of the stuff and so I added this uh, brain basics course, which has a couple of like peripherally driven drills to help emphasize, like I said, the lateral body. So it's not quite Z health. It's a little bit of like a tailoring outside of it, um, but it's like sensory focus. And then irrespective of the stuff that we have available, uh, movemed.net, we have one free thing, which is the five for five. It's five exercises for five minutes each. So 25 minutes as a collective. And it's just like a good way to get familiar with stuff most people probably have not done. And if you practice that for a week, you probably be in a different body seven days later. Um, then we have a like eight hours of our course material or not course material, like uh, classes material, our foundation classes. So it's like eight hours or eight classes wherein uh, one of our coaches did a bunch of classes, recorded it, and then uh, it's for sale. So people can essentially follow along. Uh, and then lastly, we have a membership right now, which is to give more interaction. Uh, we have 12 classes per week with two different coaches and we're doing uh, uh, 
the whole thing is stressed to strong. So how can you deliver a better limbic state to your thinking mind, a brain body connection kind of thing, but it's tailoring the growth of that peripheral body or that midline. So that behaviors that are inherently reflexive don't have to be thought through because there's enough tissue to be conditioned to respond. So we're building out body brains uh, with a little bit of brain training on top of it. Nice. Sounds like actually there's quite, there's literally something for every type of type of training. I, I definitely echo the comments on the, the slap bracelet and the, <laughs> that is just a really cool idea. And uh, yeah, we, we love that. And yeah, definitely highly recommend anyone listening to for sure. Go check out the five for five and see where you want to take it from there. Cause uh, I think you'll agree by the end of this chat, there is a lot of cool stuff out there to be exploring that. Uh, I don't know. It feels like it's in that realm of, you don't even know that you don't know it. Like the, there's, there's so, so much stuff where uh, possibilities for, for things that actually, yeah, you just haven't experienced and, uh, yeah, I think people should should be trying it out. Uh, and then also, if people want to find you, if people want to message you, is the Instagram page the best way to do that? Or Yeah, Instagram's probably the best. We have a Facebook group, and we also have a YouTube channel, but the Instagram is what's right now delivering the most content. Uh, yeah. yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I the same. Like, if there's any per- people that have a... Uh, I think you two, you and uh, S10 are the, the brain trainers that I recommend to people. Um, what with a lot of the change going on at S10 right now, and you guys have been more regular since they've been way more, uh, things have been changing. Uh, but yeah, for anyone that wants to learn more about this stuff and the brain basics gives you a bunch of answers, but you have some specific questions, I'd suggest you reach out to Gareth and James here. These guys are better for the brain questions and I'm a sensitive guy. <laughs> God, it's like we're forming an eighteen. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll have just as unique character profiles in a, a weird van. <laughs> I'm kind of all right with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind it so much. <laughs> as long as I'm not driving, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> all right. Well, we will uh, wrap things up then. Nathan, thank you very much for coming and talking to us. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be chatting again soon sometime. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Definitely. Enjoy the rest of your day. Likewise, you guys enjoy your evening. Get some rest, get some sleep. No problem, dude. Speak to you later.